You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on a sermon series that will take us through the Gospel of John, entitled, Learning Jesus. Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're able to join us on a snowy March morning, and we're very excited about what's happening at Ridgewood Church. Just a couple of quick notes for you before we dive into the text this morning. First, beginning the Wednesday after Easter, we're going to introduce something called Wednesdays at Ridgewood. This will be a time to gather and have meals for children, youth, and adults. And we're going to do a four-week series right after Easter. So you can circle that on your calendar. The second exciting thing to pass along this morning is, as you know, we're excited that God is bringing people to Christ like crazy here at Ridgewood, and we're excited to announce that we have another lantern that we're going to be able to put up to signify that. Olivia Long, who many of you know, the Long family, accepted Jesus this week, and so we can just praise God and celebrate with them. So let me pray. And we'll go ahead and dive into the text. God, I thank you that we have an opportunity to learn from you this morning. I pray, God, that as we deal with our pain and our suffering, we'll be able to see this morning that there's a reason and that as Jesus glorifies himself, we can be a part of that kingdom building. So we just give all of this time to you now that it may glorify yourself. And in Christ's name, I pray, amen. It seems that there are so many believers that live under a misconception. They would, of course, admit that suffering is in the world, but they would be hesitant to say that God is involved with that suffering or that God brought that suffering along. They might be comfortable to say that God works through suffering or God will take your suffering and do something good with it, but what we're going to learn this morning in the sign that Jesus does is that God brought suffering so that he could glorify himself. And the reason that's so beautiful is that as we go through our suffering, we can know that it's not random, that it's not bad luck, but that God is at work. And when we learn that our suffering is for the glory of God, then we can find joy even in suffering. Now, the miracle or the sign we're going to look at this morning is part of this series we're doing in John called Learning Jesus. And we're going to be in John 9 this morning. And though we're not going to read every verse in the chapter, I do want to give you a basic context for the story, and then we'll move into verses 1 through 7. So here's what's happening. Jesus passed a man that was born blind. And the fact that he was born blind is really crucial to the story. The disciples were under the impression that the man's blindness must have been a result of sin, either his sin or the sin of his parents. But Jesus debunks that theory in a no-nonsense way, and his actions will lead to the glory of God. 
Now, the Pharisees, of course, were not happy because Jesus had the gall to do this on the Sabbath. And so they called Jesus a sinner. But for the blind man's part, he began to recognize that first, Jesus was a prophet, and then second, that Jesus indeed is who he said he is, the Savior of the world. And the section ends with this really, really difficult phrase, one that I hope that I will never hear, and he pointed it right at the Pharisees, and he said, your guilt remains, because they didn't believe. And so that takes us up now to where we want to begin this morning. I would encourage you to read all the way through 1 to 41 when you have an opportunity, but today we're going to begin in verse 1 and go through verse 7, so why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible and open to John 9 beginning in verse 1. And if you have that Ridgewood app, you can always just open that up and you can follow right along. You can just hit media and study guide and write to today's date and you'll be able to see the content there and some resources. And I know this morning that many of you are suffering. I know that many of you are experiencing mental anguish and physical pain. That many of you are experiencing grief. And that's a very, very difficult place to be. But what I hope we'll see in this text this morning is that we can suffer purposely because God is in our suffering. God glorifies himself through suffering. And when we understand that, then there's a purpose and we can suffer well and we can suffer with joy. And when we do, people notice because it's so different than what they see in culture. And so that's what we're going to drill into this morning. So let's go to verses 1 through 7. Here's the text. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mun mud with the saliva, then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now that's an amazing text, and there's so much for us to get from it this morning. And the first overriding point that I want to make this morning is that suffering in the life of a believer, glorifies God. Suffering in the life of a believer glorifies God. There is a purpose to when we go through hard times, and Jesus is showing us that this morning. 
Now this, of course, is part of the seven signs, and we've worked through many of these signs already. We saw Jesus change water into wine at the wedding at Cana. We saw him heal the royal official's son. Remember, that was from miles away, and people were amazed by what Jesus was able to do. We saw him heal the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. We saw him feed the 5,000, which was really a crowd of about 20,000, with just those two paltry fish and five barley loaves. Then he walked on water. The disciples were terrified, but he said, it is I. And they were all of a sudden safely to the shore. Today we talk about the healing of the blind man, and then next week, raising Lazarus from the dead. All of these signs meant to show us that Jesus indeed is Messiah and the Savior of the world. And now he's going to show us that suffering can glorify God. So, back to verse 1. Notice that the man is blind from birth. The choice that Jesus made was to stop and heal him. And that's very significant because Jesus is sovereign. He knew exactly what was happening in this man's life. But Jesus is also a compassionate healer. And so he cared about this man, and he stops, and he takes time with him. But this also illustrates that just as the man was blind from birth and needed spiritual healing, the backdrop of it is that we Mankind has been blinded by sin, and we need a healer. And John is always poking at that. He's always saying, believe in Jesus, because he is the one that can rescue you from sin. And again, that's this kind of backdrop that comes here. We are born in sin and with a need for someone to save us. Now, Paul talks about this in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is our state because of sin. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We need spiritual healing. This is something that we can't do ourselves. And so just as the blind man needed to be healed of his blindness, we need to be healed of our spiritual blindness, and that could only happen through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So, notice now the disciples' lack of understanding in verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That seems like a bit of a ridiculous question, but in that culture, it wouldn't have been. There was a general understanding that physical deformities or sickness 
came to be because of sin. And though at times Jesus did equate sickness with sin, that wasn't at all the case with this man. And Jesus tells us that in verse 3 with this amazing statement. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That the works of God might be displayed in him. That's why this is happening. And so this shocking rebuke tells us something very important, that suffering lies within the providence of a sovereign God. Suffering lies within the providence of a sovereign God. And and although Jesus didn't always disavow a connection between sin and suffering, there is no connection in this case, which helps us understand that suffering isn't always caused by a specific sin in a person's life. And there are theologies floating around out there, namely word of faith theology, that leads us to believe that we can somehow manipulate God through the words we say or conjuring up enough faith that we won't get sick, that we won't suffer. And the danger of that kind of theology is not only that it's not biblical, but that it leads to guilt and shame because obviously suffering is a part of life. And in this case, the man was born blind so that Jesus could come and glorify God. And so there's an amazing moment here that we find out it wasn't about sin. It wasn't about his sin or his parents' sin. It's because God was going to glorify himself. And that's important because that means that your suffering is for a reason. Your suffering is present because God is doing something in you and in others and he's present and he cares and so you're not alone you're not just a victim of a a random occurrence and what Jesus will do here is what he always does he shows up in the midst of tragedy and he calls us to himself he beckons us to come and he says trust me Just come to me. I'm here. I'm in your suffering. And then he enters in with this power and grace and love. And when we're drawn to him and when we rest in his arms, then we literally can find joy even in suffering. It's a beautiful concept. And I believe we're seeing that here in this particular text. God's glory resounds God has a plan. Look at this stunning compilation of verses that come from the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, 5 through 7. I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. There is none besides me. God is operating in a place that we can't understand. He's in a plane that's so far from us, but yet he has the compassion to reach down and touch us 
and help us that we can be encouraged that his plan is ongoing. He is king. So, suffering in the believer, it points others toward God. God is always at work. His providence is on display. But now Jesus makes another profound statement before he heals the man. Look at verses 4 through 5. This is a confirmation that Jesus is the sent one. Verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We must work while it is still day. In other words, there's an urgency to the work that Jesus is doing. There's an urgency to the work that we are doing at Ridgewood Church and individually because what we're doing is we're showing off God to the world. And so many times we look at our lives or we look at the future and we say we've got all, t- all the time in the world. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus said, you need to work now. And in this case, specifically, he was saying, we're doing this now because I am in the world and soon I will have ascended and there's an urgency to what John is writing. So now he's going to direct this man to be healed and the place he's directing him to is called the pool of Siloam. And here's just a a glimpse of what this pool looks like today. It's amazingly been partially excavated in Jerusalem and I had an opportunity just to kind of sit on the side and just kind of stare at it thinking wow this is where it all happened but I also have an artist's rendering of what it might have looked like back in Jesus day you see it was just a, a very small area compared to what we looked at at the pool of Bethesda but here is where the man would go this is where the man would be healed. Jesus was sent by the Father to heal, to be a light in darkness. There was an urgency to what he was doing, and the evangelist is telling us that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And so John's urgency remains, and I believe it's essential, and here's the next point I want to bring forth this morning is, We need to accept the truth that is revealed through suffering. We need to receive it. We need to act on it because time is a wasting. Jesus is coming back. People need him. And here, the signs that Jesus did point to his lordship. The the religious leaders failed to believe. and, And darkness would fall upon them because of their continued rejection of the truth. And while we were suffering, or while we are suffering, it is foolishness to turn our eyes away from Jesus. Because He's the hope in suffering. He is the reason it is for God's glory. That's what it means to suffer for the glory of God. Many of you remember in 2015, when ISIS was ravaging the Middle East and there were 21 Coptic Christians that were brutally murdered by ISIS. And it would be easy to look at that and say, 
where is God in that? I mean, you have 21 Christian followers who are murdered. How can God possibly be in that act or that suffering? But here's what happened. The world all of a sudden paid attention to suffering Christians. All of a sudden, these people stood out from culture. God was being glorified because of that horrific act. Now, I'm not at all saying that God brought ISIS along to kill these people because God is not in evil. God does not do evil. But what I am saying is that He is sovereign over all things and that suffering was used by Him in order to glorify Himself because the world then focused in on these beautiful Christians that had been martyred for Him. And I think what's really interesting about those kinds of events is that it looks like darkness is winning, but darkness really isn't winning at all. Jesus is the light of the world. He overcomes darkness. And so when we are suffering, it's so important to maintain a proper view of Jesus. Now, last week I used a passage from 1 Peter 4. This is 1 Peter 1. It's very similar, but you get the idea that there is this trial that will come and we can find Christ in it. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see that trials have a purpose? Suffering has a reason. And suffering for the glory of God requires faith. And then what happens is faith produces conduct. And that conduct is because we understand who Jesus is and we're willing to act on that. And so when we are suffering grief for all kinds of trials, we can put our faith in our living hope. And even though trials may cause temporary and really hurtful and destructive feelings and and circumstances, we can take hope in the fact as believers that it's for just a little while. And that God is using these trials to bring about a magnificent future and He's glorifying Himself. And so we can suffer with hope. We can suffer with joy. And so as Jesus reveals His Messiahship, as this suffering of this man enabled Jesus to shine, that God had this sovereign way of doing this to glorify himself. What we're going to see now in verses 6 through 7 is that Jesus does this amazing thing. He is the restorer. He is this amazing person. And here's what it says in this section, verses 6 and 7. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and even came back seeing. 
And this is the point. Suffering leads to restoration. Isn't that hopeful? Suffering leads to restoration. There was no medicine in the mud. (laughs) Jesus was using the mud as a way to illustrate this washing away of his blindness in the gentle waters of this pool that is called scent. How appropriate that the scent one healed this man. And there is restoration because of what Jesus does. And I want to encourage you this morning that the gentle shepherd reaches out to his sheep and beckons you in. And not only that, but he is the king of creation and he can heal and he can do amazing things and he can restore us from the inside out. That's the point of this story. He can heal you and restore you from the deepest heart of suffering, of tragedy, of hurt, of betrayal. Because he is the sent one. And I would just ask this morning, will you come to the sent one and relinquish your pain to him? And allow him to comfort you and help you and find out what it's like to suffer for the glory of God. Which then leads us back exactly where we started this morning. Suffering in the life of a believer glorifies God. This is what I want you to take with you. This is so important. There are a million different times types of suffering. There's relationship. There, there is grief. There's loneliness. There's, there's abandonment. It's all hard. And, and though they're different, they have a common thread. They steal our hope. They, they, they cause us to feel like no one cares or I'll never get through this. I can't take another step. I had a woman once tell me, I just, the way I describe my suffering is that when I get up in the morning, I just have to get my foot into my slippers and take the first step forward because suffering can be devastating. But what we're seeing in this text is that Jesus is in that suffering. In the pool called Sent, he healed, he encouraged, and he deepened our faith. So if this is true, if we can refine our faith through suffering, let me get practical now and just give you some points of what happens when we suffer for God's glory. What exactly is the result that we're after? What results in this pain that God heals? Well, first, we become better acquainted with Jesus. We become better acquainted with Jesus. I know on some of my darkest nights, my spirit will be meditating on Jesus, and then all of a sudden, my spirit just breaks out in song. It's, it's strange. I don't sing out loud. Because Wendy needs to rest, but I'm singing inside. There's a, there's a sense of joy and, and spirit worship because Jesus has emerged in that suffering, and then I'm more acquainted with him, and that's worth a lot. The second thing I want to encourage you with, when we do walk this way in suffering, we are comforted. We are comforted. And this may seem obvious, but it's not so obvious because The world can't comfort us the way Jesus can. He's the light of the world. He came to save us. He came to restore us. 
And because of that, we can endure just about anything. And then finally, when we suffer well, others notice. It's so attractive to the world when we are walking in hope, not fake, not pretending that we're okay, not pretending that it doesn't hurt, but we're walking in an authentic relationship with God. I remember a night I was called out as a pastor, and I had to go to the same hospital, and I had to see two people that night because there were two different families that were about to lose a loved one. And this is one of those moments that you think, how could this possibly happen this way? But God was making a point in my heart because I saw such a contrast. I started first, I went to the room of a non-believer. And it was cold. And it was hopeless. And there, there, there just was no hope hanging in the air at all. And I I tried to pray with them, but they weren't really open to receiving that. And it was just deeply saddening. So I left that room, and then I went down the hallway, literally the same hallway, and I arrived in the room of the believer. It's night and day. I mean, here was this family. There were tears But there was a sense of incredible hope. There was prayer. They were reading scripture. They invited me in to pray because they knew where their hope was. It was in the Restorer, the Sent One. And so this morning I call you to the Sent One. I call you in your suffering to embrace Jesus. And He will restore you. And you can learn to suffer for the glory of God. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.